This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. It's been a little while since we've come at you with a new episode, so we're really excited. So much to talk about. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, Brian Calm. Yeah, the last time you heard us was our first ever live episode. The feedback has been generally positive, so thanks to everybody who turned out. Thanks to everybody who's listened and shared their thoughts. Please still do. We're thinking of doing another in the near future, added a whole new dynamic to the show, I think. Near future, Brian. How about next week? But okay, we'll get to that. Let's get into the content first. But before that, let's get into talking about DauberHockey.com. We are presented by Dauber Hockey, proudly so. It's the best fancy hockey website out there. Last week, there was that big Dion Phaneuf trade, and I feel like it was like an hour later on Dauber Hockey, maybe even less. There was a whole article breaking down the fantasy impact. We're also going to do that in this episode, but a little later. But just a taste of what you can get by going to DauberHockey.com. Obviously, you also get the starting goalies and the line combinations and everything you need to manage your team and take yourself into the playoffs. Yeah, it is a regular stop for you and I when we plan the show and not just, you know, researching players exactly, but to just get a sense of what's happening in the fantasy world over the course of the week. DauberHockey.com, a great place to go for fantasy hockey information and podcasts. (laughs) All right, so Brian, let's get started with the first fantasy hockey headline of the week. Goalie news. We've got a lot of goalie news. I feel like if we wanted to, we could do a whole episode just about goalies. This could be mid-season Schmore Goaliesborg. But we'll just run through everything going on. Lots of injuries, outjuries, demotions, hot streaks, cold streaks. Maybe by the end we'll generate a ranking of some of these goalies that might be available in your leagues. Let's start in Columbus. Here's a quote from Dauber writer AJ DaCosta, who wrote a Dauber injury report earlier this week. And he said, Columbus head coach John Tortorella thinks Bobrovsky's probably out until March, which will stretch to April. I'd almost put money on it. And he goes on to explain why, because it's a groin injury. So, news is Bobrovsky's out at least till March. AJ thinks maybe till April. Either way, it's going to be a while before Bobrovsky comes back. And in the meantime, Eunice Corposalo, who we've brought up a couple of times, and Brian famously likes to mention how he's the nephew, or what was it, the nephew or the cousin of some famous Finnish goalie? Yeah, the son of former Swedish elite forward Yari. Right, yeah, Yari Corposalo. Sorry, son. Okay, Eunice Corposalo has been fantastic. He has a 921 save percentage on the year, and he's basically been playing every game for Columbus. So if you picked him up when Bobrovsky went down, you've been getting, like, elite numbers. The thing is, 
Can they continue? And of course, it's easy to put up these types of numbers when it's just over a short stretch. See Andrew Hammond last year. But Brian, moving forward, what do you think about Eunice Corposalo? I know before you said you expect just average goaltending on a bad team and only taking if you need a warm body. Have you changed your mind at all about him after these great numbers he's been putting up? And after the news comes out that Bobrovsky's still going to be out for a long time. Well, Yari's boy has now started nine straight, and he's picked up the win in five of those, which is no small feat for a Columbus goaltender. And actually, seven of those starts have been quality starts. Only one of them has been a real stinker, and that's a kind of consistency that we hadn't seen from Corposalo yet in his previous stints in the NHL. Now, calling that consistency might be a bit of a stretch, but considering the other almost sure shot save percentage destroyers, who you're probably super frustrated with, either as like your number two goalie or whoever's in free agency, that's actually not a bad thing to have done. It seems crazy to be recommending Columbus's third string goalie at this point of the season, but yeah, I think he has sort of upgraded himself as an option, at least in the short term, over just warm body status. I still don't think you can expect a ton of wins. I don't think you're going to be expecting above league average save percentage on a regular night. But the key to him is if he can start regularly, put up decent numbers and just not wreck your save percentage, which he's only done once in his past nine starts. At that point, I am pretty comfortable with his value. Well, I guess at the end of the day, we always say that Sergei Bobrovsky is a great goalie to own, and he's a goalie on Columbus. So it's not as if there's no chance that you want a goalie on Columbus, and Bobrovsky's the example. Corposalo has been putting up Bobrovsky-like numbers lately, but like you say, obviously, we'll see if it could continue. Yeah, but Bobrovsky has shown the ability to, like, win games by himself and make a bad team better. I'm not sure if I'm really ready to say Corposalo can do that for his team just yet. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm just saying that for now, there definitely aren't worse options. Like, don't just not take Corposalo because he's on Columbus. He's winning more than half of his games, at least in the last nine, like you said. But Bobrovsky is not the only goalie who is out for a while. We've already mentioned this before, but let's just bring it up at least one more time this season. Carey Price, news just came out according to La Presse that he's going to be out for the season. Then the Habs denied it. So I don't want to speculate too much, but it seems like Carey Price is likely still going to be out for a while. And I wanted to bring up Ben Scrivens because he's someone that we actually said before, maybe a couple of episodes ago, that yeah, this Ben Scrivens experiment clearly didn't work. Condon's still getting most of the games. But since I said that, Scrivens went and started four games in a row and three Three of them were fantastic. He got three wins in a row, all really great starts, like over 950 save percentages. And actually, I picked him up in two of my leagues just in time for his start yesterday against Buffalo, where he led in three goals on eight shots and got pulled. So not a great new addition for me. But Brian, what do you think long term now that we know Carey Price is not coming back or we're kind of sure that Carey Price is not coming back? Assuming that is the case, is it time for people to grab Ben Scrivens or is yesterday an example of things to come? Well, I don't know if we even have to make that assumption. Even just thinking that Price might not be back for another month is enough reason to think about which Montreal goaltender is more valuable. And you know what? I think they're both going to be prone to these huge setbacks that we saw Scrivens have just last night. He stopped just five of the eight shots he faced got pulled, Condon came in, did a decent job holding it down the rest of the way, and like, when I say decent, I mean half decent, because that's all we've been able to realistically expect from the Montreal crease lately. I don't know, I feel like it's going to be a bit of a seesaw 
with both goalies taking turns. You know, someone comes in, plays a couple good games, gets a couple more, blows it, then the other guy comes in, does the same thing. It seems to me that some of the Habs' allegiances right now rest with Condon, just from what he did at the start of the year, and he's probably going to be around the organization longer than Scrivens is. But all in all, I can't rule out Scrivens being able to string together two or three decent fantasy starts in a row, but you will have to shoulder that risk of everything going awful if you try and get those good starts from him. All right, so if we're going to start building our rankings, who would you take between Scrivens and Corpusalo? Corpusalo, for sure. He's the top choice right now over Scrivens. Even though it's crazy to take the Columbus goalie over the Montreal goalie. I mean, we thought when Price got injured, it doesn't really matter who's in net. You want him because Montreal has been such a good team to start the year. Of course, they haven't shown much resilience in the face of Carey Price's injury. Their defense has not looked good. Their offense, well, maybe is starting to get rolling. But in any case... Somehow, I still want Jonas Corposalo over Ben Scrivens because, at worst, Corposalo probably puts up similarly bad save percentage numbers, but while getting more starts to do it. Yeah, and really quickly before we move on to the next goalie, speaking of the Montreal offense, Alex Galchenyuk, holy cow, he is on quite the hot streak. And I actually watched the game yesterday. He had two power play goals that were essentially the same goal a one timer from like the right side. It was really cool to see, and I'm very happy I picked him up in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League right after he got drummed after he was slumping. And I traded him away right before he went on his current seven points in seven games run. He's taking a ton of shots. He's seeing power play time. What a guy to own in your fantasy league right now, which is really the first time we've been able to say that all year about Galchenyuk. One nice thing to say about the Montreal Canadiens right now, at least Galchenyuk is rolling. Okay, Brian, the reason I picked up Ben Scrivens in the Cacupful is because I had to drop a goalie who was sent to the minors. And I'm talking about Connor Hellebike, the guy. He's been our golden boy. Talk about how great he is and what a great position he's in. Because surely Winnipeg must realize that Andre Pavlik is not very good. And even when he comes back, they'd be crazy to send down Connor Hellebike. But you know what? Hellebike gave them a reason to send him down because he really went out sputtering. He had a really bad last few starts. He had one good game against St. Louis, the one game I benched him. And aside from that, he's been putting up like 500 and 846 save percentages. And then his final game against Boston, he got pulled. Same numbers as Scrivens, led in three goals before getting pulled. This one was on 11 shots. And then that's it for Hellebuck, or maybe not. The coach has said that maybe he'll come up again at some point. But Brian, in the meantime, Andre Pavlik is coming back. So what are your thoughts if people have Pavlik available to them? Well, before getting to Pavlik, let's just maybe close the book on Hellebuck for now. We did sort of see this coming, wondering if the Jets could really commit to him for the rest of the season, even when Pavlik came back. Even if he was playing well, we thought they'd have difficulty doing it, but he sort of made the decision a little easier for them. Although I did mention on the live show that I think... Some of this has to do with the fact that Hellebuck has not rested. He's been seeing, like, Rene, Crawford, Quick, Luongo-type workloads in his first NHL season, which he didn't even start with the team, and I can't really hold it against him that he wasn't able to keep up his really strong play throughout the whole time that he was there. So he's down in the AHL for now. I hope he gets back up, and I still think he is the Winnipeg Jets' best goalie because Pavlik is just not very good. As you said, Elon, in the Facebook group, when everybody was asking, should I add Pavlik for this guy? Should I swap this guy? You just kept saying the problem with Pavlik 
is that he's not very good. In the last three years, he ranks 28th out of 33 goalies who have had number one roles for a good chunk of that span. And that includes last year's career-high aberration of 920 when he went on a couple really hot runs, turned a few people into believers, but remember Michael Hutchinson had a really good save percentage last year as well. Pavlik hadn't done a whole lot this year before getting injured, so our thoughts on him are pretty much unchanged from the preseason's more goalie sport, which is that the Jets probably still like him as a starter, so he'll play but he'll likely play poorly. So far this year, he has a 906 save percentage in 15 appearances, and it's not his team's fault, right? We can't say, well, he plays for a bad team, because we saw Hellebuck come in right after Pavlik got injured and do very well for himself in all the same circumstances. Wins might also be tough for Pavlik to come by. The Jets are now three games below 500, and it's not because they've been hurting for a goalie. I don't think Pavlik is the answer to come in and start winning them games. Maybe... He can go on a run here and there, as he's shown to do in his career. But overall, if you're looking at what you expect him to do over 10 or 20 games, it's supposed, hopefully, a league average save percentage. But even that might be aiming a little high. So you can add him if you need starts, but your save percentage could come out worse for wear if you do. Yeah, and I guess one reason why Hellebuck was sent down is because he's the only one that wouldn't have had to clear waivers. Like Michael Hutchinson, you would have thought, could have been sent down, but he's actually done pretty well in his, you know, relief of Hellebuck in those bad games, and he's been doing good enough that maybe they didn't want to risk losing him just to waivers, and maybe the Jets will make a trade and Hellebuck will get sent back up. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with him, but yeah, Pavlik. So Brian, with all that you've said, where would you put him if you had to choose between him and Eunice Corposalo? I'm going to wedge him for now between Corposalo and Scrivens. He'd be my second choice, although there is potential there for him to be the first choice, because I think Winnipeg, at the end of the day, is a better team than Columbus, and if Corposalo starts faltering, then I might consider Pavlik, just because, you know, you might not outplay Corposalo in terms of save percentage on a regular basis, but maybe he can at least pick up a couple more wins for you. Okay, and continuing the story of my disastrous waiver pickup of Ben Scrivens, I was dropping Hellebuck, and I was actually choosing between two goalies, Ben Scrivens and Jonas Hiller. And the reason I was going for Hiller is because news came out that Kari Rama was injured. He collided with Eunice Donskoy in a game against the Sharks. He went straight to the IR and word is that like it didn't look good. The coach said that he thinks it's going to be a bad injury. So all of a sudden that opens the door for Jonas Hiller. And the thing is, I was already planning on talking about Hiller this week because he had been slowly but surely stealing starts from Kari Ramo. In fact, he had two wins in a row against Vancouver and Toronto before Ramo got back into the nets against San Jose and got injured. Of course, if I would have picked up Jonas Hiller instead of Ben Scrivens, I also would have been disappointed because he let in four goals. At least he got to play the whole game, which is something. So he made 31 saves against Arizona, but a bad game against the Coyotes. But moving forward, the Flames have also called up Orteo, and so maybe he'll get some starts, but I would think that Jonas Hiller is going to get the majority of starts because Orteo has shown himself to not be reliable, and Jonas Hiller's actually been pretty decent, at least recently. So Brian, what do you think about the Flames goalie situation? You and all the listeners of this show know that I've been a Hiller booster for his entire stint as the Calgary Flame, thinking that he is their best goalie, and not understanding why management doesn't play him as such, especially after waving Ramo. They waved him! And then they brought him back and put him as their number one goalie. So you thought the tides were turning, but no, Ramos still played. But like you said, Hiller has been stealing starts. But all this to say, I'm honestly less optimistic about Hiller than I have been in a long time. Even with a few decent starts strung together recently, which is definitely a good sign. He's an 894 over the course of the year. He's not even a 900 goalie in the time he's seen. Now, he hasn't been able to get into a groove. You could say that's an excuse. And you know, he's never really been a lights-out goalie in his career over the last 
four seasons or so, he's more like a league average guy around that. But I am seeing such a poor showing from him this season. I don't know when he can get back to that league average play on a regular basis. And last time Rama was out of the picture, Orteo did get a handful of starts, even though he's even worse on the air. Just an 868 save percentage in four games played. And his AHL numbers have not been any better. He's been an 893 in 20 AHL games for the Heat. So nothing really looks good for the Calgary Flames goaltending situation right now. I've always liked Hiller. I've always said, just go grab him and you can hope that he'll do his thing and play decent. This year, at this point, I don't quite feel like I can say that. Okay, so at least, Brian, you're making me feel a little better for taking Scrivens over Hiller, though maybe I would have been just better off picking up a forward or something. But okay, we need to add this to the rankings, because as soon as all of this news came out, like yesterday, Hellebuck getting sent down, Price being announced to be out for the year, and like the stuff with Bobrovsky, we had a lot of questions on the Facebook group asking like this goalie or this goalie, this goalie or this goalie. So that's why I wanted to build this ranking. So right now you've got Corpusalo, then Pavlik, then Scrivens. Where are you putting Hiller in there? I'm going to put Hiller right next to Pavlik. So Corpusalo is still the first guy that I'd want. And then Pavlik and Hiller, kind of a toss-up. I'd go with whoever has the hot hand. Like, I wouldn't grab one and wait for them to find their game. If one is doing well, I'd just swap them in and out as much as I could. Okay, and let's do one more. I actually originally when I was planning this episode was thinking I would just talk about Hellebuck and Louis Demang together and be like both of these guys are really sucking then you know Hellebuck earned himself his own segment on the show since he got sent down and Demang you know what he had three games in a row where he let in five goals in each game things were looking really bad for him he was getting dropped in Yahoo leagues left and right but he's come back in his last two starts and has gotten two good starts including a win yesterday against Calgary against Jonas Hiller so you know with Mike Smith practicing with the team but the coach saying he's still a long ways away from his return you know Demang is still a guy who's going to be getting games for the next little while so Brian what do you think at this point Demang has been really up and down I'm curious to know where he fits in in this ranking of any of the goalies we've talked about so far Demang is the one who has shown any measure of consistency for well longer than the nine games that Corpusalo has been mostly rolling for so I'd actually put him at the top I know he had a few off starts and off might be an understatement. He stopped 20 of 25 shots two nights in a row, gave up five goals three nights in a row, but seems to have settled down again in games against Calgary and Vancouver. I think if you're deciding between Domingue and Corpusalo, you're going to look at schedule strength to try and figure out which one's your guy. See how many games they're playing and against two. Arizona is in a division that hasn't been very strong this year, and that might work in Domingue's favor. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess the more games you get against Canadian teams, the better chance you have of getting wins. A couple quick goalie notes, probably not too fantasy relevant. Jonathan Quick is injured, but he's probably going to be back soon. Enroth got a start. Budai got a start. You know, you might want to get a spot start from an LA goalie next time they play. Neither of them have made a great case for themselves. Also, Anders Nilsson, Nilsson Schmilsson, he got demoted. And Laurent Brossoit got called up. I wonder if he'll get any starts, but definitely we already talked about Talbot last week and said how good he is and how sure he is that he'll be the starter in Edmonton for the rest of the year. Brian, do we have to have any concerns about Laurent Brossoy? Brossois? <laughs> uh, pronounced like a true Toronto resident, Laurent Brossois is up with the big club right now, and he's had a very good year in the AHL so far, a 921 save percentage over 26 games. He is a pretty solid goaltending prospect. The Oilers are hoping that he can develop into a number two Maybe even a number one one day. He was originally drafted by Calgary way back in the 2011 NHL draft. Sixth round. So, 
you know, wasn't taken as a blue chip kind of guy, but has done fairly well for himself as a pro. I get the sense that they're inviting him up to the NHL to sort of get a sense of what he's all about, maybe get in a game or two to see what his abilities are, and then he'll go back down and take a heavier workload again in the AHL. But regardless of who is in that number two spot for the time being, whether it is Brossard or Nilsson, there's no doubt that the undisputed number one in Edmonton right now is Cam Talbot, so it doesn't really matter. Who else is on the depth chart? Yeah, so we'll see if Laurent has any impact this season with the Oilers. I'd guess no. Might even be the kind of thing where they sent Nielsen down to get some starts, like Tampa seems to do with Vasilevsky every once in a while. But hey, at least Corey A. at Gunslinger3002 on Twitter, you asked us to discuss prospects on the show more. So there you go. Laurent Brossois, if that's how his name is pronounced. There's a prospect talk for you. Yeah, you did pretty well with his pronunciation. I don't know. I don't see, like, the Vasilevsky reason being a reason to do this with Nelson. It's not like Nelson is anyone the Oilers are really hoping develops or challenges for the number one job. And Bishop has been strong for a while now, which is why Vasilevsky hasn't gotten games in. But he is still the future in Tampa. So you got to keep him busy. I don't see the same for Nelson. I feel like this is more of a look at Boissois than it is exercise and conditioning and busy work for Anders Nelson. Okay, yeah, that was just speculation. I hadn't read that anywhere or anything. Okay, so that's the goalie roundup. Let's move on to our second fantasy hockey headline of the week. More injuries! And actually, this is an injury from over a week ago. But again, we haven't recorded since a week ago last Thursday when we did our live show. And since then, Jason Spezza was injured on Dallas. He's missed four games now. And much like Mike Smith, the coach says he is still a ways away, according to Rotowire, though he did skate on Friday. So I'm not sure. It seems like conflicting reports. But either way, while Spezza has been out, things have gotten interesting in Dallas. They've shifted up the lines once again, as they always tend to do. And the one who's made it onto the top line lately has been Patrick Eves. And that's not a name we've heard for a while. I remember last year he got into the same position, but he's been on the top line and the top power play. And he's got a four-game point streak going including a hat-trick against Chicago in their last game where he took six shots on goal. So he has seven points over this four-game point streak, three of them on the power play. He's playing like a stud. The problem, of course, is who knows how long he'll stay on this line, and he has done this before, but in the short term... I'd imagine a guy like Patrick Eves is someone you want to grab if you have room for a streaming spot, at least as long as the news is that he's going to stay on that top line. Who knows what will happen when Spezza comes back? And Brian, before I hand it back to you, on the other side of Patrick Eves, someone who's benefiting from this Jason Spezza injury is Patrick Sharp, who's really been hurting. He's now scoreless in five games, and he's been playing with the likes of Antoine Roussel and Cody Eakin. At least that's what he played with in the last game. Again, Dallas has been shuffling around these lines, but you know, not the situation that Sharp has been enjoying earlier, either playing with Ben and Sagan, or at least playing with Jason Spezza on the second line. So at this point, Sharp owners want to know, what did they do with him? And people with Eves on their free agent list probably also want to know, should they pick him up? The answers are kind of linked, and I think we need to see what happens to the Dallas lineup once Spezza comes back to really get things settled. But for now, as long as Eves is on that top line, go ahead and add him. For Sharp, uh, you're in a tough spot if you own him right now. He needs a return of some kind. Either he needs to return to the top line, or Spezza needs to return to the lineup, and hopefully that happens soon for him, because he's played with Spezza and has done quite well with him. In fact, about as well with Spezza in limited time, of course, as he has with Sharp and Sagan, but it's without either of those players where he really struggles. Right now, he's with Eakin and Roussel. Those are not the greatest fit for him. In fact, it almost looks like he's on a third line with a trio of more exciting but underachieving names, Nichushkin, Hemsky, and Yanmark, 
playing together too. Sharp's numbers really fall off when he's away from any of the big scorers, which is actually what we saw around this time last year when he was playing on Chicago's third line. So I'd wait for Spezza to come back before making any rash decisions about Sharp and what you're going to do with him if you have him on your team. But if you're in a league where there are like a bounty of other options available, I'd swap him out right now and then try and grab him when you see what the lineup looks like when Spets is back in it. Yeah, it's the kind of thing when you're considering dropping a star like Patrick Sharp, you really have to think about what's going to happen when he falls into free agency. Are the other owners going to see that Sharp was dropped and be like, oh my god, Patrick Sharp just got dropped in my league. I'm definitely going to make a waiver claim. If you think that that's going to be the feeling around your league, then maybe you want to hold on. Maybe he has trade value or something, or maybe it's worth waiting to see. But if it's the kind of league where you could drop him and feel pretty confident that he's just going to sit there until he heats up again... Might as well drop him and get someone hot, and you could always grab him back when Spezza comes back. You could still preemptively get him before he's hot, but at least not hold him while he's playing on the third line, or whatever you want to call this line that he's on right now. Next on the injury docket, let's go to Vancouver, where they've lost two guys for a significant amount of time. Alex Edler and Brandon Sutter are both going to be out for six-plus weeks. Let's focus on Edler. He's been, of course, the top power play defenseman for the Canucks for a while now, so this really opens up a spot for someone else to take advantage. And there's a few interesting names that are popping up, like Chris Tanev. He's a guy who you only know about in fantasy if you're in a league that counts blocks, and he's been pretty decent for blocks. But he had a great game against Arizona in Vancouver's last game where he had an assist and six blocks, so even more than he's used to getting. But the thing that was really interesting for me is he had 41% of the team's power play time, and he's a guy who usually didn't play on the power play at all or barely got time, so he's definitely getting an improved role. And if, you know, if you're in a league where you get value from blocks and a potential power play point, he could be a good short-term ad or maybe long-term because Alex Edler's out for a while. The other name that comes to mind is Ben Hutton, a guy who has had a couple of good games sprinkled in with a bunch of games where he did nothing. But, you know, he had two assists against Colorado, then like a week before that he had two assists against Pittsburgh, and he's been consistent getting a decent amount of power play time and he's getting even more and more ice time of course while Alex Edler is out and hey he even had a seven block game a few games ago against Columbus but lately he's been getting just one block each game so I'd be curious Brian to know if you wanted to pick up a Vancouver defenseman which way would you lean between Hutton, Tanev and other? I think Tanev is not the first option just because his ice time has not increased significantly at least in all situations he's only added about a minute or two of playing time per game since Edler's been out. Of course, that's just been one game. So we're still waiting for things to settle down a little bit and understand how things are going to shake out. But Hutton is probably the guy that I would be looking at first because he might be the one who sees his role change the most drastically. And I think he probably is the best power play option on that Vancouver blue line, but that does not say a ton because that Canucks blue line has been woeful all year in terms of offensive production. Edler leads the blue line with 20 points in 52 games, which is just barely even a 30-point full-season pace. And then it goes down from there to Hutton, who has just 15 points in 47 games this season. He did come onto our radars earlier in the year when he had 8 points in his first 20 games, but he's added just 7 more points over the course of the 27 games he's played since then. So I'm not about to get super excited. The Canucks have not been generating offense from their defense pretty much all season long, and I'm not sure I'd expect that to change now that Edler's out. You can watch Hutton, though. Maybe he gets a little more power play time, and of course, the more power play time he gets, the more chance that he can grab a point 
here and there with the man advantage. In the other category, I'm going to put Yannick Weber's name down. Now, I'm not sure how much ice he's going to see, if any, but he was seeing the second most power play time on ice for the Canucks for a large chunk of the year. That was before he was demoted to Utica of the AHL about a week before the All-Star break. And that demotion made sense because even with some generous deployment, he had managed just five points and a minus 13 in 35 games played so far this year. So I think all of this is to say is that Tanev, Hutton, and Weber are potentially guys who could do something, but I'm not holding my breath for either one to really make an impact. Yeah, I guess for me, the one I'd want for the spot start is the one playing on the power play with the Sedins. So if that's Tanev for a game, and especially if I need blocks, maybe I would grab him, but definitely not a long-term option for sure, and I doubt he would even stay there for very long. Then, of course, with the Sutter injury, we talked about it before when he was injured just before, and we talked about how Bo Horvat was doing so well. He was on the second line, and we wanted to see what would happen when Sutter came back and if he would lose his spot on the roster. But now you don't have to worry about it. Horvat is back playing with Verbata and Berchi, and he's still doing well. He has six points in his last eight games, which actually is kind of slow compared to what he was doing before, where he was like a point per game. Well, Elon, let's not be too hard on him. It's great to see sustained production from him. When he was having that very good stretch, we were really excited and hopeful that it would continue even after Henrik Sedin returned to the lineup. And so far, he's been able to keep it up, which is really, really promising. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't saying it's a bad thing. I was saying that it's great for him that we consider six points in eight games to be not so great. And we'll see if he can keep it up in the future. But definitely Bo Horvat, I think, is a very tempting option that's available in a lot of our free agent wires. But you know what? His line mate, who you would think should be the more tempting option, Radim Verbata. Have we called him a snoozer yet? Because if not, like, we have to. This guy, like, I'd say forget about him. He's playing with Bo Horvat, who's getting lots of points, but somehow Verbata's not getting in on any of them. His IPP must be really low. He's also getting low minutes, like, lower than he's used to. He only played 13 minutes in his last game. He's been hovering around 12, 13 minutes in his last three games. He's the kind of player who we used to be able to depend on for shots on goal, at least, but he's only been getting one, two, or three. Lately, a far cry from his four, five, and six that he was doing earlier in the year, where we said that, oh, he'll just, you know, score soon. He's having some bad luck. He's still in the top power play, and he's playing with Bo Horvat. Usually, you should say it the other way around. Bo Horvat's playing with Redim Verbata, but I feel like Verbata's playing with Horvat. He's on the top power play, so he still has the opportunity to score. But I don't know. If you're holding on to him, there must be a better option right now. Yeah, I think we have talked about Verbata in the context of a snoozer. We've had a lot of questions over the course of the season. Can I drop him now? Can I drop him now? Can I drop him now? I think you can drop him now. He's not really going to be a hot commodity. You can always get him back if you are quick enough and you see some signs of life from him. But for now, just not a whole lot happening. It's sort of been a lost season for him. And the one solace was that he was still putting shots on net. Like, he has 172 shots and 52 games played. But Elon, like you said, the totals are really tapering off lately. I don't want to see any one-shot or two-shot games from Verbata. I want to see three or four, especially if he's not doing anything else for me. His IPP is actually uh, a little bit down. I mean, last year it was quite high. This year it's, I don't know, it's still reasonable. So maybe just lately with Horvat getting all these points and him not, I see where you were going with that. But his shooting percentage is down, his on-ice shooting percentage is down, and that applies to both even strength and power play. So just not a happy season for Radim Verbata. If you're holding on to him, you are very stubborn about doing so. Definitely have some sort of extra commitment to him, because I think most people who drafted him at the start of the year have already cut ties on him, and rightfully so. 
And hey, patron Michael March asked us to do a rumor segment on the show. So one rumor, I guess you could say, about Redeem Verbata is that maybe he'll get traded at the trade deadline. So that might be a reason to hold on if you think that he might go to a better deployment. Though, you know, he's had it. He's on the top power play with the Sedin, so... I don't know how much better you can get. Yeah, I think he's still a good player. I think maybe this just has not been the right situation for him. It's been a really hard year. I mean, we just talked about Edler in the blue line. Very few people are putting up points of any kind in Vancouver this season. Verbata has been just another victim of such a poor lineup in Vancouver. And yeah, he's had his opportunities, but I feel like if he gets traded to, say, a playoff team... I think that would be a very good thing for him to try and get involved in another team's offense because he still has the capability. I'm not sold on the idea that he's over the hill. And speaking of injured defensemen like Alex Edler, let's move over to Minnesota. They have had a couple of big defenseman injuries. Jonas Brodeen is gone long term, like three to six weeks. He wasn't really that fantasy relevant anyways, but Jared Spurgeon is day-to-day. He might come back soon, but he's a guy who we liked in fantasy for the same reason I was talking about before with some of these other guys. Like He's someone who was on the power play and was giving you blocks. With him injured, though, a new guy has really stepped up, and that's Matt Dumba. He has six points in his last five games, lots of shots on goal, five of them power play points. So if you picked up Matt Dumba when you saw that Jared Spurgeon was injured, that would have been a smart move. And I actually... You know, we didn't have an episode, unfortunately, when that happened, but I did message Brian, and I think I posted on Twitter, I hope I did, anyways, saying Matt Dumba might be a guy to look at, because he's looking like he's going to play on the top power play. But Brian, with Spurgeon coming back soon, do you think Dumba's still a good ad if he's available in people's leagues, or do you think this is just fleeting production? Well, I think prospect watchers and wild fans are hoping that this is sustainable, but the reality is that it's only sustainable for as long as he gets this spot on the depth chart. And once Spurgeon comes back, it remains to be seen. I mean, he's definitely proven himself and done very well in this spot. He saw a huge jump in workload. He went from playing 13 to 15 minutes a night, all of a sudden playing 18, 20, 24 minutes in his most recent game. And a big chunk of those minutes have come on the power play. Apparently, Minnesota's opponents have been taking a lot of penalties in recent games, which has allowed Dumba to average nearly five and a half minutes per game of power play time since Brodeen and Spurgeon have left the lineup. And he's cashed in on those opportunities as well with a power play point in each of those three games. And he actually is now on a five-game power play point streak. He's taking shots too, really. You know, he's doing everything that a top-pairing defenseman might do on that power play, taking shots, playing a lot of minutes. He's not putting up a ton of blocks. That's the one thing that you can't really look to him for right now. But if you're hurting for D, you should be looking to make a move to add Dumba for the duration of the other two injuries. And the fact that Brodeen is going to be out long-term at least leaves the window open a little bit for Dumba to continue working with an increased role on the Minnesota blue line. Yeah, with Minnesota having had a lot of trouble scoring over the past little while, maybe they will keep Dumba there even when Spurgeon comes back. So it'll be worth watching for a couple of games. If you grab him, don't just like drop him right away when Spurgeon comes back. And Brian, one more guy in Minnesota I want to talk about. We already talked about him last week, so just really quickly. Charlie Coyle, who we said he was on a four-game goal-scoring streak. Obviously that ended, but he still has two points in his last four games. 
And what I like even more now about Coil than before, there's two things actually. First is that he's on the first line with Miku Koivu and Zach Parisi, and he's also on the top power play with Koivu and Parisi, so he's in a really good position in the lineup. And like I said last week when we talked about him, his minutes have just been going up and up. Like Coil has become a key roster guy, getting over 20 minutes when he used to be more of a 16-minute guy. And the other reason why I like Coil, at least in the short term, is take a look at Minnesota's schedule next week. They play Vancouver on Monday, Calgary on Wednesday, Edmonton on Thursday, and then Chicago on Sunday. So they get to play three Canadian teams in a very short stretch, four games overall in the week. So if you're in a situation where you could stream a guy for a little while, even if Coyle's not the type of guy you could envision staying on your roster for the season, you might want to grab him for next week. And same with Dumba, I guess, with that same schedule. Yeah, that's a good thought. I don't really have a ton to add on Coyle in addition to what we've already said on the show, which is that, you know, nothing has really changed a whole lot in his game, but he is now getting better assignments, better deployment, and he's been able to capitalize, which is a good thing. Still has a shooting percentage that is a touch high, so maybe don't expect him to keep scoring goals at the pace he has this season. But it's not outlandish to think that he can still keep producing at a pace that makes him worth keeping in your fantasy lineup for the short term at least, which is something that we haven't been able to say about him for the last few seasons, but we've been hoping to say it the whole time. Yeah, it's something also that we haven't been able to say about the other players who have had turns playing with Zach Parise, the Mikhail Granlins, the Jason Pominvilles. They play with a great player, don't do anything. Coyle's up there and actually producing, so he might just stay there for a little while. And by the way, Brian, Jason Pominville, since we talked about him last week and you said maybe he'll have a resurgence in the second half, still no points since that episode. He's still taking shots, I know. But. He had a seven-shot game. <laughs> Yeah, I still think he sucks. (laughs) Yeah, well, if he had done anything more relevant than that, I would have tried to say it. I went out on a limb. It's failed so far. But maybe, you know, this weekend is when he really is going to push that reset button. You never know. Well, like I said, Minnesota has a good schedule next week. So maybe next week could be your last chance to grab Pominville and hope for something. If he doesn't get any points in those four games next week, for sure. Like, come on. Then Brian has to admit that he's a snoozer. So we'll see. We'll check in maybe next episode. Still a couple more injuries I wanted to cover. Alex Barkov has been out of the Panthers lineup for the last three games. Word is he might be back next week, so this isn't a long-term thing. But, you know, Barkov being away hasn't stopped the Panthers from scoring. They scored seven goals against Buffalo. And sure, Huberdo and Yager and Bjugstad as the top line, they've been doing pretty good. And definitely you want those guys, especially Huberdo and then Yager to a lesser extent and Bjugstad to a slightly lesser extent. But the real standout line lately has been the second line of UC Jokinen, Riley Smith, and Vincent Trocek. If we just look at the last six games, Jokinen has eight points in his last six. Trocek also has eight. Riley Smith has six points in his last six games. These guys are all on fire and they're all maybe available in your leagues, maybe not anymore after this great stretch they're all on. Of the guys on that line, Riley Smith is the one who's been on the top power play with Huber Doe, Bjugstad and the like. We'll see if he could stay there. He was there before, even when Barkov was playing. So Riley Smith's in a great position, but we're seeing all this production from UC Jokinen, who like, how old is UC Jokinen? He's been around for a long time. Then Vincent Trocek, who's kind of come out of nowhere this season, has had a pretty great year with 35 points in 55 games. So Brian, like, what are your thoughts? We've got a lot of questions from the patrons. Ask us to talk about these Panthers. Even just like a simple question, how would you rank guys like Jokinen, Trocek, and Smith if you could only have one of them? You know, these three have been playing together for the majority of the season. and they are finally clicking or exploding or doing something. I don't know, but it's working for them right now, each picking up a ton of points over the last little while. And I don't know if I could really rank any of them. If you made me choose one, I'd probably pick Jokinen just because he has the highest point total and the lowest shooting percentage. Whereas if I look at Trocek and Riley Smith, they are both a fair bit above their career rate in terms of 
converting shots to goals. So that makes me a little worried. I don't necessarily think that this line is going to keep clicking for a long time, like through to the end of the season. It's great to have this sort of production from them, but I think this is what they're good for. They're good for production in spurts. I know UC Jokinen in a lot of formats has been added and dropped a few times through the year because he has been a reasonably valuable guy as he comes in and out of these streaks. Same with Smith, same with Trocek. You know, we've had people saying that maybe we're not giving Vincent Trocek enough credit because he's not just producing in spurts anymore. He is producing consistently or more consistently than we are acknowledging. And I guess that's true to a point. I mean, he's had a very good season. He sits fourth on the Panthers in points per 60 minutes behind his linemate Jokinen and Yager and Huberdo. Barkov is actually fifth on the team by that measure. And of course, he's eclipsed his career high from last year, which was 22 points in 50 games. This year, he has 13 more points in just five more games. And I feel like all those points came in the last five or 10 games too, come to think of it. And each one of them makes a really good streaming candidate for your lineup. Yeah, and I guess for me, I always like the power play time. So maybe I would actually go with Riley Smith, but it's hard not to want Jokinen or Trocek right now. I guess ride them while they're hot. Yarmer Yager, by the way, definitely on a nice roll, and we'll see if it works out for me. I've actually flipped him now that he's on this hot streak. I traded him for a slumping Rasmus Ristolainen, who's still the top minutes, top power play guy on Buffalo. So I'm curious to see how that will work out for me. Anastasia, hopefully it's a win-win for both of us. This was a trade in the cupful. The final injury I wanted to talk about, Alex Petrangelo, is going to be out long-term on St. Louis. And a lot of people were asking, oh, what does this mean? Should we be looking at Pareko again? And while I was preparing for this episode, I was thinking, yeah, you know, I wouldn't be so excited about Pareko still he's still not getting like a really improved deployment or anything but you know what he's got three points in his last two games two assists against Florida yesterday a power play goal the game before against Winnipeg so maybe there is something to Pareko being able to produce when one of the star St. Louis defenseman is injured of course when Shattenkirk was down that's when Pareko had his first really good run it's still Shattenkirk on the top power play but Pareko is getting a few more minutes per game so maybe he is someone to look at in the short term while Petrangelo was injured. Pareko, you know, my initial take when Petrangelo got injured was that, well, if it's not Shattenkirk getting injured, don't expect a whole lot to happen with him. And so far, I've been wrong. Yeah, three points in his last two games, but only one shot on goal in each of those. And that's not uncommon for him over the last little while to have few shots on goal. So I don't know if I'm ready to say that, well, Petrangelo's out, so Pareko's in. I'm not sure it's quite that simple, especially because Pareko's ice time hasn't really changed since Petrangelo has been out. Like, he had a 23-minute game, which was great, but he had been playing still, like, 20, 22 minutes before that, and his power play time has not skyrocketed up either. He had a bunch a couple games ago, but it wasn't necessarily, like, a huge chunk of his team's share relative to previous games when Petrangelo was in the lineup. So I'm not thinking that these two are necessarily related, that is Petrangelo's absence from the lineup and Pareko's production, but I'm not going to exclude it as a possibility either. You know what, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I don't think that this short production from Pareko is sustainable. I don't think that he's worth that much more now that Petrangelo is injured than he was before. But maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe he'll go on a huge hot streak and then people will be annoyed at me because I convinced them to not pick him up. No, I agree. Like, just to make sure there's no ambiguity, I don't think they're related. I said I won't exclude the possibility, but I'm really not counting on that being the case either. Yeah, if anything, not that I'm saying you should pick this guy up, but the one getting the big minutes now is Jay Bomeister. He's the one who led St. Louis in minutes yesterday for their game against Florida. And by the way, Shattenkirk, who's been on a bit of a cold streak, he picked up a power play assist yesterday 
his first point in like eight games. So hopefully this is the start of Kevin Shattenkirk getting back to being the money power play point defenseman that we've expected him to be and that we've come to rely on him as being. But since we're on St. Louis, Brian, let's shift over from injuries over to outjuries and talk about Jaden Schwartz, who returned to the lineup yesterday in fantastic fashion. He had a goal and an assist. Only played 13 minutes and a half, but hey, three shots on goal, goal and assist. Not a bad return for Jaden Schwartz at all. And he's playing, of course, like we said he would, with Vladimir Tarasenko and Yori Laterra. The STL line reunited. If you're curious about what else is going on on the team, that puts Alex Steen with Berglund and Bacchus, and then Stasny with Fabry, who scored the power play goal, by the way, that Shattenkirk assisted on, and Troy Brower. So I don't know, like... A guy like Paul Stasny, who we already talked about as being not being able to produce very much, I don't know if it's such a great new position for him, though we did get a point yesterday. Overall, the big story is Jaden Schwartz. If you were concerned that maybe he would need to shake off the rust, clearly that wasn't the case. He's back on a great line and producing. So if he was in your IR, activate him. And if he was dropped in your league, definitely grab him. Yeah, not much to say here about Schwartz, at least. He came into the lineup. It's great that he contributed immediately. We'll watch his ice time creep up over the next week or two, and hopefully he can get into some kind of productive rhythm. It's great to see the STL line reunited, except Laterra had no points on the night, despite the fact that all three are playing together. And Stasny too, you know, we talk about all these moving parts in St. Louis. I'm not convinced that this is the way they're going to stay for a while, which means that the value of Bacchus and Stasny and Laterra is really up in the air right now. And either one is not someone who I'd really want to own unless you're in a hits league and that way Bacchus has some extra value. But they just bounce around in and out of good spots on the depth chart too often to really sustain any kind of value that would make you want to own them. So for now, just be happy that Schwartz is back. And by the way, Robbie Fabry, Elon, you mentioned him. He has four power play points in his last three games, five points in his last four games overall. Not doing too badly for himself. Yeah, we talked about Fabry at the beginning of the season. You know, we were talking about guys like Larkin and Ehlers who were drafted in the same year as him and saying how they've all been doing well. Obviously, Larkin and Ehlers have been the ones making the bigger splashes, but here's Fabry maybe making a late season push and definitely a guy to add to your watch list. If he's getting this power play time and picking up power play production, that's a guy you want to own in your league. We'll see if he can keep it up, of course, and it depends a lot on his line mates. You know, we say for Paul Stasny, his deployment isn't as good as obviously playing with guys like Tarasenko, but for Fabry, playing with Stasny is not too bad for your rookie season. So, okay, Brian, we're so far into the show, maybe people are starting to yell at their media devices saying, how have you not yet talked about Dion Phaneuf being traded to the Senators? So finally, let's cover this trade, see if there's any fantasy relevance to pull from it. Big trade, lots of players move. Phaneuf, Fratton, Bailey, Rupert, and... Donahy. I think he made at least one of those names up. <laughs> those are the guys who went to the Senators, and in exchange, the Leafs got Cowan, McCulloch, Greening, Lindbergh, and a pick. Obviously, the big name here is Dion Phaneuf, slotted right into the top power play, and got two power play assists in the Sens' last game, which to me is kind of surprising, not that he's playing on the power play, but like, him getting more points, I thought that this would be bad for Phaneuf, since he goes from being the main power play guy, to maybe even someone who wouldn't even get on the top power play if the Sens want to roll four forwards, but at least for the last game, they went three forwards, and then Carlson and Phaneuf. So what do you think, Brian? Is there increased or decreased value here for Phaneuf, or does he kind of stay the same? If the Sens keep rolling with three forwards, Eric Carlson and Dion Phaneuf, then Dion Phaneuf sees some help in his power play production for sure. You saw Phaneuf and Carlson playing a bit of catch on the blue line before Phaneuf got his first point as an Ottawa Senator, which was a shot that Mark Stone deflected past the goalie. And that was a positive thing. I think any Phaneuf owner at least can be reasonably confident that his value 
value doesn't drop. And the more time he plays with Eric Carlson, the better his fortunes are. I still think Mathot is going to be Carlson's regular even strength partner, and Phaneuf is still going to see top four minutes for sure. But on the power play, if he now has a really great partner with, you know, a fairly potent forward group as well, I think that's good news for Dion Phaneuf. And we should also talk about how it's good news for Morgan Riley and Jake Gardner, even Frank Corrado got some power play time in in Toronto's most recent game. Those guys are all going to see a bit of a boost in their role in both even strength and on the power play in generating some offense. Jared Cowan is not going to step in and have the same offensive role that Phaneuf is stepping into as a newly acquired Ottawa Senator. Okay, lots of names there. So you're saying Phaneuf, you think his value could only go up, can't go down. I guess, yeah, when you're on the Leafs with guys like Bozak and JVR injured, it's not as if Phaneuf was going to get a lot of power play points no matter how much time he had. And I guess, you know, you could say the same thing about guys like Morgan Riley and Jake Gardner, even though Gardner has goals in his last couple of games, getting a lot of power play time. So I guess you want to grab these guys if you need a power play defenseman. If you need a defenseman, maybe there is some value in a guy like Jake Gardner who didn't have much value before. But, you know, just keep in mind, it's still a Toronto Maple Leafs defenseman, so you don't want to go too crazy. What about on Ottawa? We talked about Cody Ceci as someone who was producing last week. He gets bumped from any meaningful power play time at this point, I assume. Yeah, what the Sens tend to do is have Eric Carlson play the entire power play. So essentially his partner is going to rotate on and off. It'll be Phaneuf to start, and then maybe Cody Ceci gets a little bit of time in as well. But primarily it's going to be Carlson and Phaneuf. Yeah, CC got a bit of power play time in the last game, but definitely he was seeing more before the trade. So, you know, we already said in the last episode that we thought that his run of production was probably a mirage and not sustainable. So hopefully you didn't pick him up. And if you did, this isn't good for him. It is worth mentioning while we're talking about all this, Colin Greening saw four and a half minutes of power play time. That was half of the available minutes for all Toronto players in his debut as a Maple Leaf. Wasn't able to do anything with it. Had two shots on goal. Was a minus two. I don't think we'll see any real other fantasy effects on any newly acquired Maple Leafs. I don't think Greening's going to do a whole lot. Mahalik, maybe when he gets healthy, he can put in a point here or there, but nothing more than what he was able to do in Ottawa. So there you go. We've covered the Dion Phaneuf trade. We had one patron, Ryan, who was very upset about it, a Sens fan, calling Dion Phaneuf a pylon. Maybe he's happier now that Phaneuf got those two power play assists. The Sens still did lose. So I guess at the end of the day, not much of a net gain yet. And speaking of our patrons, I want to take this moment to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson for helping to support the show. We have a few new patrons that have signed up recently. Brendan, Nicole, Jeremy, thank you for signing up. And thanks to all the patrons. We really appreciate your contribution to the show, both monetarily, $5 a month, and for making our patron-only Facebook group such a great place to be. So much great advice. I was asking for advice recently, and I got a lot of good tips. I don't want to go on too much about the patron program, but definitely it's not too late to sign up. You could still be a patron for the rest of the season with the trade deadline coming up with your fantasy playoffs approaching. If you want to get some extra insight by being able to ask questions on the patron-only Facebook group to Brian and I and the other patrons and to have access to our monthly patron cast, which I'll tell you about a bit more in a second, why not sign up, give it a try, check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And while we're at a more administrative part of the show, let me mention, like Brian said, we had a live show last week. It was a lot of fun. We had a lot of good feedback. I think we could make it even better. And we're going to try because we're going to do another one next Sunday at 8 p.m. EST. We weren't necessarily thinking that we wanted to have two live shows so close together, but just scheduling wise, it's the best time to do it. So the next episode of Keeping Carlson will be recorded live next Sunday night, 8 p.m. EST. For more information, check out keepingcarlson.com slash live, and that will redirect you to the Blab event. It was a lot of fun last week. Really hope you can make it next week, Sunday, 8 p.m. EST. 
Also, we're going to do our next patron cast right after the trade deadline. So that's going to be a really good time to sign up to be a patron because it's basically all the trades are going to happen. Then you're going to join in on a patron cast. That's a podcast just for the patrons. Also on Blab, we'll cover all the trades and I'll write something in the Facebook group to tell all the patrons about that coming up. But of course, we still have more content to cover on this show. We have a bunch of players on hot streaks. I mean, Brian, we can't do this every week, but at least one more time. We have to just say Connor McDavid, Jordan Everly, and Benoit Pouliot are insane. They're getting so many points. In Edmonton's 5-2 win against Toronto, McDavid had five points. Pouliot with four. Like, this is a line that you want to have players on for sure. We implored you last week to pick up Benoit Pouliot if he was available in your league. I really hope you did it. You've been getting rewarded handsomely. And Connor McDavid has just jumped up to being one of the most valuable players in fantasy, even like for one year. Obviously, for Keeper, it's been for a while. But I don't even know who else I'd rather have than Connor McDavid right now on a given night when he's playing. Of course, on the other side of the coin, there are some Oilers who are slumping. Namely, the top line, which have been doing so good for so long. Hall, Dreisaitl, and Purcell have really been doing nothing lately. Purcell has an assist. And Dreisaitl and Hall are both scoreless in their last four games. And actually, news just came out on Roto World this morning that Coach Todd McClellan is going to be splitting up Taylor Hall and Leon Dreisaitl, at least for the start of today, Saturday's game. Apparently, Hall was practicing alongside Mark Letestu and Zach Cassian, while Dreisaitl remained with Teddy Purcell and now Lero Pakarinen. Lero Pakarinen. So... Not great news for Dreisaitl if he's away from Hall. Hopefully that won't last. A lot of patrons have really been bailing on Dreisaitl and asking, should I drop him for this guy or should I trade him for this guy? I would still hang on for a little bit. I think that Dreisaitl has shown that he has value and maybe this will just be a short experiment of splitting them up. But like, it's really hard to decide. Like, Brian, for the rest of the season, who would you want between Benoit Pouliot and Leon Dreisaitl? That's a really hard question. You know what? I think I'm going to take the guy who's playing with McDavid. That is how big a difference McDavid makes. And let's remember that Dreisaitl is a 40-point player. He has 40 points in 46 games so far this year, but the bulk of those were scored in the first couple months that he was playing in the NHL. Lately, over his last 15-20 games, he's pretty much a half-point-per-game player, which is not bad because he's still somewhat involved in the team's offense, but anyone who added him when he was really ripping it up is looking at him saying, well, what have you done for me lately? I can't necessarily blame them because of like the huge shift that we've seen in his production. So I would choose Pouliot, but I wouldn't really give up on Dreisaitl yet. I think people are ready to pull the plug too soon. He's had a really good season. You've got to give him like five or six games of low production before you really start to panic. But I think the panic seems to have set in after two or three games of doing nothing, which granted hasn't happened a whole lot this season. But I'm going to be the one to encourage patience on Dreisaitl, which is funny because I feel like that's a real flip from the situation earlier in the year when I was saying, well, let's let's wait and see what we have with Dreisaitl before all rushing to add him. Well, that's your thing, Brian. You're patient on both ends of the spectrum. (laughs) You're cautious about picking someone up who's hot, and then you're cautious about dropping someone who was hot for a while. So I would also give Dreisaitl a few more weeks. Hopefully he'll get back with Hall and hopefully they'll get rolling. Taylor Hall is a superstar. Dreisaitl's obviously really good. So maybe Connor McDavid will be nice and let a couple of other lines score some points before the end of the year. Okay, let's move on to Colorado. A couple of names we haven't heard from a while are on hot streaks right now. Jerome Ginla just came off a really great stretch where he had six points in four games. He was scoreless yesterday against Detroit, but two games ago against Ottawa, he had two goals and assists, seven shots on goal, and Jerome Ginla really hasn't been having that great of a year, especially lately. He was just cold for so long. He was actually dropped in a couple of my leagues and is still a free agent, even though he had this hot streak. I guess that just goes to show how cold he went. But Brian, now that he's been heating up, maybe he's someone people want to add another name that I wasn't expecting to see 
Blake Como has seven points in his last seven games and actually has been getting more minutes than Jerome McGinley playing on a line with Carl Soderberg and Gabriel Landeskog. So definitely not bad linemates for Como. A much better situation actually than Aginla, who last game was playing with Andreas Martinson and Chris Wagner for a bit. Though we also had some time with Tange and McKinnon, and I believe most of his points have come playing with McKinnon and Tange over this stretch. But would you suggest to people who have Aginla or Como in their free agent list that these are guys they should be adding for the short or long term? Well, it's very likely fleeting. It's actually interesting to look at Como and Aginla side by side and see well. Como has 27 points in 57 games. Aginla has just four more points in one more game. So they're actually quite even. And even with their most recent hot streaks, they seem to be like sort of keeping pace with one another over the course of the season. Not normally two names you would associate with one another. I mean, Aginla, maybe I'd be a little more inclined to go with him, at least give him a shot because he did start the season fairly well. I know I had somewhat written him off, thinking that it would be a tall order to once again put up fancy relevant production on a regular basis, but he came out of the gates with seven points in his first 10 games, which was pretty decent, and he was taking a lot of shots too. He was averaging, you know, two and a half, three shots per game. Lately, he seems to have found his groove again, still not putting up a ton of shots, though he did have a seven-shot game recently. And yeah, the line situation is very concerning in Colorado. I have no idea what's going on. It's like Patrick Waugh put him in a blender, saw what happened, and just said, okay, I'm going with it. Like, there doesn't seem to be much thought as to how the lines are being constructed there. And if Aginla is going to keep scoring, he's going to need to keep seeing power play time. And Steve Laidlaw on the Dauber Ramblings the other day noted that Aginla was able to actually play on both units recently, which is why he was able to get a couple extra power play points. Don't expect to see that happening every night. But there also is the curiosity of Aginla as a second half performer, which we talked about last year with Scott Cullen. The numbers actually show that there is like a somewhat significant difference in his production post-All-Star break compared to pre-All-Star break. So I'll always leave the possibility that there is something like that happening with Aginla right now. And for that reason, if you've got a spot up for grabs on your roster and the free agent pickings are looking pretty slim, I think Aginla is not a bad option to stream and see how he does for the next three or four games. And Como, you're not buying in on? He's the one with the better line mates. Yeah, for now, anyway. And while I do accept that he's actually been hotter recently and has been putting up similar shot totals as well, has nine shots in his last two games, he's just not the guy that I think I can count on as much as Aginla, and I think the lines are going to change up a little bit. Aginla's scoring pedigree still gives him the edge over Como, even though Aginla is nine years older. And how about, Brian, let's just bring up a couple of guys each. If we're talking about players who are benefiting from being on a great line, then we have to mention Callie Yarncroc on Nashville, who's had the plum assignment of playing with James Neal and Ryan Johansson for the last few games, and he actually put up a very nice three-game point streak before going pointless yesterday against Tampa Bay, but Yarncroc is still on that great line, and and I would like someone who's on that line. So maybe he's someone you might want to look at at the short term as well. Yeah, for as long as he's there, that's a pretty good spot to be. Interestingly enough, Philip Forsberg is still doing just fine not being on that line. Has 10 shots in his last three games and six points, actually, is what I should have led with. He has four goals and two assists in that span. So maybe the Nashville Predators have found a top six that works. And I imagine as long as Forsberg can keep production coming from that second line, 
perhaps Jan Kroc gets extended time on that first line. Yeah, well, Forsberg's playing with Craig Smith and Mike Ribeiro, so not the worst line mates. And obviously, Forsberg is the main driver of offense there. So Ribeiro, obviously, is the one who gets all of those assists. And by the way, speaking of Mike Ribeiro, he's actually been playing on the top power play with Johansson and James Neal. So some interesting options there on Nashville, depending on how deep your league is. Jan Kroc is obviously someone for a deeper league, only like 0.5% owned on ESPN, but usually it's pretty hard to find a guy playing on the top line with a guy like Ryan Johansson. Next up for Hot Streaks, how about Jean-Gabriel Peugeot? Now, maybe we're a few games late to this party, but he had eight points over a six-game stretch, two goals, six assists. One of those points came on the power play, and he was seeing an increase in power play time, too. Saw zero power play time, however, in his last game. His ice time went back down, although he is still playing on one of the most bizarre lines in the NHL right now, which is Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, Zach Smith, and Mark Stone. So I don't know how much longer that line sticks together if it's not producing. I think there are much better ways to use Mark Stone, and for that matter, Peugeot and Smith in the Sens lineup. It was a nice little stretch for Peugeot. He was throwing shots on net two, but if you streamed him, if he was on your lineup, I think it's already time to start considering dropping him. I don't expect him to be able to put up meaningful production on a regular basis from now till the end of the year. Yeah, no disagreements for me about Peugeot. Nice run while he had it, but I wouldn't rely on it to continue for this season. And hey, since we're talking about the Sens, let's just take a look at the scoring race for the season. Eric Carlson tied for second with Jamie Benn, 15 points behind Patrick Kane, who's leading with 77 points. Crosby, though, still sneaking up. He's up to 53 points in 53 games. He actually has gone scoreless in his last two games, which has made my acquisition of Chris Kunitz not as exciting. Their production is really tied together, like we talked about last week. But Brian, I could just keep going on and on about all of these different players but we have to end the show and here's I think a good time to do it so thank you so much to everyone for tuning in to this episode we really appreciated all the feedback we got after our live show last week and it would be great to hear what you thought of us going back to our regular format so hit us up on twitter at keeping carlson let us know how you like the show. Also, you can ask us any fantasy hockey questions. We try our best to answer every question on Twitter. We actually got an iTunes review recently, a guy saying that we didn't answer his questions, but I answer like every question. So if you're that guy who left that review, message me. Let me know who you are, because I'm very curious. And double check the spelling of who you're mentioning on Twitter. Elon is very good about getting back to everybody. So sorry we didn't see your question, but give us another shot. <laughs> yeah, but as we're saying, obviously we would love a five-star review on iTunes. And give us your questions on Twitter. You can become a patron, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Live show next Sunday at 8 p.m. Then we'll release it as obviously a regular episode later that night. And I think that's everything I have to say. So let's cue that outro music. And Brian, read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Hockey Analysis, War on Ice, Roto World, Frozen Pool, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great job as always, Brian. And I'm looking forward to doing this live next week. Hope to see everybody there. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sun. <laughs>